Well, it's great to be here with you today, and uh, you have a great worship band and a great music leader. She's always been full of energy, like you've seen her. <clears throat> I couldn't help but tell a couple stories earlier. I'll do it again on Rachel. When she was a little kid, she was so full of energy, she'd, sometimes she'd run up and say, what should I do? I just want to do something. I said, why don't you run around the house five times? And she said, okay, and she'd run around the house five times. <laughs> come back looking for something else to do <clears throat> and she likes gifts her her love language is receiving gifts so if you ever want to give her a gift that just makes her day you know but <clears throat> once it was Christmas time and I was sitting at the dining room table and I was up early eating Cheerios and Rachel got up and just her and I we have five kids but she was up early <clears throat> and uh, she, she was probably five years old, six maybe, and said, Dad, you want to know what you're going to get for, what I'm going to give you for Christmas? And I said, no, 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 you don't, you don't tell that sort of thing. You wait for Christmas and make it a surprise. Can you do that? And after a while, she says, but I really want to tell you. <clears throat> I said, no, come on now, just don't, don't tell me. So we ate our Cheerios for a while, and it got kind of quiet. And all of a sudden, she said, Socks! <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't stand it <clears throat> but we're proud of her and all of our kids and Rachel's nice guy husband Sam and her above average kids it's very very rewarding <clears throat> well <clears throat> before I get into the scripture I just want to tell a little story about when I was hunting this fall I like to get out and camp and look for excuses to be out in nature and I was going to meet a friend and his wife and a couple of other guys were going to show up later and we were going to set up a camp way out in the wilderness in eastern Oregon and I got there first and kind of nailed down the camping spot and <clears throat> it was way out in the wilderness and that evening here comes my buddy in his great big four-wheel drive power wagon monster truck you know with this big old camper on the back huge camper pulling a trailer about half the size of this room with his quad on it and his extra gas cans and a barbecue and a generator. He must have cleared out his garage to put it on that trailer. <clears throat> and he came, and they got all set up, chairs, tables, quad over here. Everything's good. <clears throat> and it was getting towards dark, and his wife came up to me and says, Nick, do you happen to have any extra water? <laughs> you brought all this stuff, and they forgot water. <clears throat> and uh, she said, we, we stopped by the little town uh, coming through, and it was getting kind of late, and we couldn't find anywhere to get water, so I hope you have some water. I said, you brought everything, and you forgot the most important thing to life itself, and that is water. So I thought that was kind of fun, doling out water to them out of my five-gallon jug for a couple of days. But it reminded me of the story, Mark 10, that <clears throat> we're going to read in a minute, of a young man who had it all. He had his checklist. He, he had everything that you could want in life, apparently. And yet he knew he'd missed something, missed the important element in life. So if you want to follow along, I'll be in Mark 10, 17 to 22. And this is a story of a rich young man. You'll probably remember the story, and we'll talk through that. 
Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. <clears throat> do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, because he could see into his heart. <clears throat> he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Well, at this point, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> what must I do to have eternal life? That was the question, <clears throat> which is amazing because Jesus gave this harsh answer. You know, I would expect him to say, oh, you don't have to do anything. You know, God is good and full of grace. He saves you because you are a believer. <clears throat> he washes away your sins. He knows your foibles and your problems and your issues, and he accepts you as you, as you are. But instead, he says this thing, go sell all of your stuff and give the money to those who need it. Sell all your stuff and give it away to others. I don't know about you, but... Mark 10, 17 to 22 bothers me. It, 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 I don't like this story particularly. Why? Because it makes us a little uneasy. uneasy. It's kind of harsh and hard. It's kind of black and white. <clears throat> doesn't seem to fit the narrative of Jesus full of grace and mercy. <clears throat> Someone once said, my problem is not with the Bible verses that I don't understand. It's the verses that I do understand. <clears throat> this is a verse that we clearly understand, but it pushes us a little. It troubles us, makes us think about our own heart. We don't need to delve into Greek words or particularly to get this scripture. It's straightforward and right in our face. This young man had it all. I mean, he had an 80-inch TV in his house. Well, maybe not in those days. He had several cars and a boat in the garage. Well, probably not in those days. I think we're richer than he was probably. <clears throat> he, he had all that life could offer and don't most of us, don't we? So the rich young man had it all and like my friend in hunting camp knew that something was missing. My friend's wife figured out Water, the most vital thing, is missing. And this young man knew in his heart something's missing here. And that's why he wanted to catch Jesus alone and talk to him about this. He was missing something vital. Well, we all have our Bibles. We have our books. We have our acting nice. We have our being baptized and saved. We have our church attendance. We have our Christian songs that we know. We have our memorized verses. And yet, maybe something's missing. 
What's that element that Jesus would say to us? What must we do to ensure eternal life? To this young man, he said, go sell everything. I don't know if he'd say that to you or to me. But I think to some degree, that's his message to us. He would say, I want to see some extravagant giving. I want to see some consciousness about the needs around you, loosening up on your stuff, not being a hoarder, living life for others. I want to see some generous giving if you're a believer. We've gone to Bible studies all of our lives. You know, some of you have heard of sermons. I can tell by your gray hair that some of you have listened to many sermons. <clears throat> we know the Greek words. We know the history. We know plenty, but what must we do? What must we do? Jesus is big on telling people to do something. <clears throat> you know, we, we all know about the grace of Jesus, but how about the, the conviction to do something from Jesus? Grace is free. We hear it. We don't need to do anything to win God's favor. But Jesus said what he did to this man. He said a lot about doing. Go and sin no more. Let your light shine as you go out into the world. Go and make disciples. Give away your shirt. Go the second mile. Cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Visit the prisoners. Feed the poor. Bring water to the poor. Or I don't know you. There's even those kinds of phrases attached to a lot of his commandments. Do this or I don't know you. He didn't say go to more Bible studies. He didn't say, I noticed you went, weren't in church three or four Sundays this year, so you got to do better. He didn't say watch some religious TV. He didn't say study harder. He didn't say just bask in the grace. What must I do? Jesus' answer was go and sell your stuff and pass it out to people. It's easy to say, well, this guy was filthy rich, and we understand that was his particular need, but I think that may be taking the easy, dishonest way out of this scripture. He's rich, and I'm not. Well, probably by world standards, comparing cultures to nowadays, we are rich. Jesus often speaks in hyperbole, that is, exaggerates to make a point. Um, for example... You know, he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, if we all did that, we'd all be walking around blind, wouldn't we? So I think the point is be self-disciplined about what your eyes take in, where that leads you. So some say, well, he was just exaggerating with this young man. I don't know. I think his point is do for others with what you've been blessed with. There's many scriptures about money and about giving. One is over in 2 Timothy 6, whole chapter basically about money. By the way, I use money for a bookmark. That's kind of weird, isn't it? <clears throat> but somebody said, oh, I use, somebody once told me years ago, I have this, and, and I wrote in pen, I am rich in Christ Jesus, as a way to remind us that it isn't money we worship, but it is Christ. But in 2 Timothy 6, it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this very way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do for others with what you have. Visit, give, serve, give, give, give. Invite people to the kingdom banquet, give. Invite people to the gospel, give. If it means sell some stuff so that you can give, we better be doing that. Our eternal life, according to Jesus, depends on whether we get this idea of generous giving to others, selling stuff if necessary. The Bible talks a lot about giving and our finances. You know that. Jesus talks a lot about money. Jesus assumes tithing in several of his teachings and the whole Bible has this theme of tithing as a basic introductory level of giving for believers. Uh, tithing, one person said, is a drain plug to greed. And I think that's a good concept. We need to be tithing at least to get past greed and hoarding and thinking we need all this to take care of ourselves. We need to be at least tithing and giving more. What must we do? Jesus says give extravagantly, not hoarding, not cautious about where our money is going, but giving it away freely. Doers, not talkers, nor scorekeepers. Find people in need and fill that need. I had a friend, Brent, in college, and he played guitar. I played a little bass guitar, and a couple of others others went along with us to do a youth rally in a church in Cottage Grove. I was, we were students at Northwest Christian College here in Eugene. <clears throat> and we did our youth rally, had a great time, and we were, came out onto the front steps of the church, down onto the sidewalk, and we're standing around talking. And the church was kind of on one of the main drags in Cottage Grove, if Cottage Grove has main drags. But it was, it was in, right in there in town, and this young man walked by. And you could tell he was kind of a street kid. And he said, what's going on? What are you guys doing? And we said, oh, we just had a youth rally. And he's, oh, sorry, I missed it. I would have loved that. We talked a while. And he said, oh, you played that guitar. And my buddy Brent says, yeah, it's my guitar. And nice hard shell case. It was a really nice guitar. And the kid said, I used to play guitar. but I had to, I had to sell it to get some money. And that's cool. And my Brent, uh, my friend Brent talked to him a little more. Pretty soon he just handed him his guitar. He says, here, it's yours. The kid said, you're giving me your guitar? He says, yeah. And I was so impressed with that. that Brent, this poor college kid like me, probably didn't have much money, and yet he just was moved to give extravagantly to this kid who would enjoy having a guitar. I had a Curious dream a few weeks ago. Strange dream. I like dreaming. I have great dreams, and I wish I could record them and string them together and make some cool movies. Anybody dream like that? Like, what an awesome dream I just had. I know some people have bad dreams, and I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> but 
this particular dream, I was a reporter or a journalist or something. I was standing there with a clipboard and a microphone and I was interviewing George Harrison, who was in the Beatles. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but there he was. And I was looking down on him. He was sitting in a chair. I can still see it clearly. And I was talking and interviewing and writing a few notes. And I finally said, George, I'm such a great fan of the Beatles. I mean, I've got this CD of all your greatest hits and I like to listen to it and it's really something. And the guy, and George says, oh, you're a real fan of mine. That's how he said it. And I said, oh yeah. He says, well, tell me, what's your favorite Beatles song? <clears throat> I paused for a minute and I stammered around, a favorite Beatles song. And he says, okay, just tell me a Beatles song. <clears throat> and I stammered around and I couldn't think of one. And he got this horrified look on his face and he looked up at me and he says, you can't even think of one Beatles song, can you? And I said, well, well, give me a minute. And he jumped up and he said, this interview is over. And he stomped out of the room. <laughs> and the dream was over. That was it. Now, I'm not much of a dream interpreter, but I think this one was clear to me. The theme is sometimes we're all talk. And uh, sometimes it's easy to talk big. Oh, yeah, I'm this or I'm that. And yet we don't do something vital to back it up. It reminds me of the wannabe cowboys in Texas. They say they're all hat and no cattle. You know, We Christians can talk a good line, look good, act nice. But where's the spiritual evidence of obedience to things like what Jesus just said? Where's the missing element, the water? the doing. Here's another dream that I didn't have, but I thought about this after my encounter with George Harrison. I'm interviewing Jesus this time. Oh yeah, I'm a real fan of yours, Jesus. And he's smiling and nodding. And, and I say, oh, I got this cool t-shirt with my church's logo on it. And I got this, see my Bible. And I, I'm faithful. I go to Bible study. I, I witness a little bit. And and uh, I'm, I'm in with you, Jesus. And Jesus smiles and he says, wonderful. Tell me a story of how you've given to the needy this week. And I pause and stammer around. Well, let's see. Um, you, mean, you mean like this week? He says, okay, if you can't do that, then maybe tell me a story of how you've reached out with the gospel and, and, and done something to bring somebody to the kingdom. You know, the go make disciples thing. <clears throat> and I talk, uh, mumble a little bit, stammer around, and he can see that I'm not coming up with a story. And so he jumps up, looks hurt and startled, and he says, this interview is over. And he walks away. Are we just talkers? Giving or lack of giving, by Jesus' standard, is kind of the best indicator of where we are spiritually. That's the strange thing. I had a visit with a friend several weeks ago, and he's a businessman, had done really well this year, this year. And he was asking me, the reason we were talking about money is he was asking me about a certain nonprofit organization that he wanted to give to. And he confided in me, he says, I want to give him $20,000 just because it's been a great year. I said, whoa. You have that money, much money to give. And he says, yeah. In fact, I've given 20,000 to five groups already, and I need to give some more. Wouldn't that be nice? 
And he told me this not to be bragging, but just because I pushed him a little bit, and I was impressed. And, and he's a great friend, humble man, but he's a Christian, and he realizes all this money that he's making, he's not going to become one of these billionaires. Like, we could name some of the billionaires in this world. I think, why don't you give some of that away? But this guy gives it away as soon as he gets it. He keeps enough to live comfortably. But he gets it about Jesus. Well, I'm not rich, we might say. and That's for the really rich people. Then why was Jesus so impressed by the widow that came to the temple and gave two pennies? And he said, that's all she has. Couldn't even buy lunch that day, probably. She gave it all. And she gave it out of an understanding heart, out of an obedience, but out of a loving heart because she understood the grace of God and what that meant and how she ought to live. Now, as I preached this and I kind of reviewed my notes, I think, am I being fair with this text? You know, it would be real easy to emphasize the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus and kind of throw that over this text like a blanket to calm it down a little bit, you know, mellow it out. But I think we just need to learn to live with the paradoxes of the Bible. We are saved by grace, but we're called to obedience. And in this scripture, it's connected with eternal life. That's kind of startling. Saved by grace, but bound to do what he says. There was a, a man who had a young boy, and he, the, the kid was into t-ball, you know, where they hit the baseball. Little kids play baseball right off of the post there and they had a great Saturday morning game and the dad and the son stopped at McDonald's for a little treat on the way home and the dad said order whatever you want and the kid said okay and he ordered the biggest order of fries you know a big mound of french fries <clears throat> and they went to the table dad had his coffee the kid had the french fries the kid is pigging out on french fries and the dad's laughing and they're telling stories and Dad just kind of nonchalantly reached out for a French fry, and the kid grabbed it and pulled the French fries back. He says, no, those are mine. How would you feel as a parent? Well, the dad wanted to say, kid, if you only knew, I could buy all the French fries in this restaurant, have them dumped on you with the dump truck. You know, I could buy this restaurant. I just wanted to share a little bit. I gave to you and thought it would be cool if you could give a little back. Give and it will be given. Give and you will have treasure in heaven. Be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share, says, says the scripture. I had a friend, John, who owned John's Automotive and Sweet Home, and he passed away a couple of weeks ago after some uh, brief struggle with cancer. Became a good friend in the last seven or eight years when I lived over there. And he was auto mechanic and kind of semi-retired. And I would take my car to him with some problem. And I'd say, oh, I don't know, probably needs a new engine. I don't know, maybe I need a new car. He said, well, let's, let's just calm down here. Let's see if it has a spark. Let's see if it has fuel. Those are the basics of mechanics, aren't they? And I'd forget that, you know. And I'd take time to go shopping for a new car, you know. And he'd tinker with it, and things would be fine. 
All we need is a spark and fuel. I think the spark is the spirit of God in our life, sparked in you a new birth, a new beginning. You know, that's when you learned grace and you accepted Christ and you became a Christian. We need the spark, but we also need fuel, which runs through our spiritual life and needs to be used or it is a waste of time. God has blessed us so much with what we have. And the fuel, what we have, must be used. What if we met Jesus on the street and asked him, what is lacking in us that we might have eternal life? I don't know, he might adjust the answer to our particular need. But I suspect he'd say something like, share your French fries. Give away your guitar. Stop hoarding. If my grace and love does not express itself in your life with some extravagant, consistent giving, then you're just playing religion here. Let's bow and pray together. Lord God, we come to you humbly knowing that everything comes from you, even our life, our breath. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you and the privilege to worship together, to honor you and to have our, adjust, our thinking adjusted a little bit by worshiping. We pray that you'd forgive us for our short-sightedness and teach us to open our eyes and open our hands and our hearts, use what we have to help others and uh, to be obedient to you. We thank you for Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.